December 7th. The Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor was 73 years ago. It was a deliberate, highly secretive attack planned by the Japanese for about eight months prior to December 7th, 1941. The attack was successful because it was a total surprise to those in Honolulu Harbor. Even though we knew a big part of the world was at war, we were not directly involved in the conflict. We were in conversations with people like Japan at the state level in Washington, D.C., and uh, did not seem to be going very well, but we were not at war. We had an amazing Navy, but we were not as prepared as we might have been. We had, in fact, many of our biggest ships anchored at Honolulu, expecting the Japanese to soon attack the Philippines. We were going to go in and try and save the day there. Some thought we might soon be at war, but for now we were just sitting on the sidelines. The base at Honolulu was attacked without warning, by 353 Japanese fighter planes, bombers, and torpedo planes in two different waves. All eight of our U.S. Navy battleships were damaged. Four of them were sunk. All but one, the Arizona, were later raised, and six of the eight battleships were returned to service and went on to fight in the war. The Japanese also sank or, or damaged three cruisers, three destroyers, an anti-aircraft training ship, and one mine layer. 188 U.S. aircraft were destroyed, 2,403 Americans were killed, and 1,178 others were wounded. Interestingly enough, as the first wave of Japanese airplanes approached Oahu, it was detected by a U.S. Army radar station at Opana Point, near the island's northern tip. This post had been in training mode for months, but was not yet operational. The operators were sitting there watching the radar screen, Privates George Elliott Jr. and Joseph Lockard, and they reported a target to their officer above them, a lieutenant, Kermit Tyler. They reported a target on this screen, and this newly assigned officer presumed it was the scheduled arrival of six of our own bombers coming in. He knew they were coming, so he's disregarded it. The radar operators had never seen a formation as large as this on radar, and they neglected to tell Tyler of its size. Consequently, the radar station gave no warning. No warning to the people at Honolulu because they didn't know an attack was imminent. They didn't understand the danger of what they were seeing on their radar screen. This morning, we begin a new series of messages, a.k.a. Jesus. This series looks at four of Jesus' names. Names given to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 9.6. Of course, a.k.a. stands for also known as. And Jesus had many also known as. <laughs> the four names found in Isaiah 9.6, you know, from your Christmas adventures of the past, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God sent Isaiah to the Israelites to warn them, to warn them of an impending attack, an impending disaster. Isaiah's messages to the kings of Judah were like the blips that showed up on the radar screen 
at the north end of the island of Oahu. He was telling the people of God to turn back to God before it was too late. They had been ignoring God. They had been rebelling against God for many years. And God was giving them a chance to repent. But they refused to listen. And the Babylonians eventually came as an act of God's judgment to destroy Jerusalem and to carry many of the people of Judah off into exile. We learned about this earlier this year, didn't we? When we went through the story together, we went through the whole Bible from beginning to end. And we remember this point in the story when the prophets were sent to the people of God and they ignored a very clear message of doom, a message of repentance. Where does the term wonderful counselor come from? From Isaiah 9.6, it says there, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of Peace. The problem for Israel was that they had kept listening to the wrong people. They were listening to the wrong counselors. They tuned out God's messages and they chose rather to listen to the words of evil men and, and even demons. That seems extreme, maybe. But rather than consult the living God, they decided to consult mediums and spiritists who pretended to be able to talk to the dead. That still goes on today, doesn't it? You know, people consult somebody that says, you know, I can put you in contact with your relatives that have passed on. Maybe you have something to say to them. Maybe they need to say something to you, and I'll put you in contact with them, supposedly. Isaiah 8.19 says this, When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? I read this, I thought, what's going on here, you know? Why are people doing this? Why are people listening to palm readers and, and fortune tellers like they do today when, when they have a true prophet of God in the midst? God has sent Isaiah to speak to the kings of Judah, and instead they're consulting people that say they'll speak to the dead. All I could think was that desperate times lead to desperate measures. Kings of Judah were so out of touch with God, so far from God by this point, that when the Assyrians and the Babylonians and other enemies threatened their peace and security, they consulted mediums and spiritists rather than the living God. So Isaiah was sent to tell them that because they listened to men instead of God, that their nation was going to suffer terribly. God was going to send the Babylonians against his own people to destroy them and to take the survivors into exile. Thankfully, that was not the only message, however, that Isaiah was given. The verse we're looking at is a verse given in the second half of his message. The second part of what God wanted to communicate, Judah would be overrun for sure. But one day, God would rebuild the nation of Israel and make them a people who truly honored him. The prophet Isaiah looked out almost 700 years into the future when the Messiah, the Deliverer, would come to set the people free. And because the Israelites' sins, many bad things would happen in the meantime. But one day, one day, the Messiah would come and make everything right. When God sent Isaiah to the Israelites, he said, Isaiah 9-2, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. In that same vision, going down to verse 6 of Isaiah 9, 
He said this, For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government there will, and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God was telling his people, you're in darkness now. You are the people walking in darkness. You are the people that are blinded. You are the people that are living in the shadow of death. It's hanging over you like this dark cloud because you've been listening to the wrong people. You've been listening to the wrong counselors. But one day, a child will be born. One day, I will send a son to you. And he will be the most wonderful counselor. He will be mighty God and everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And he will change everything. He will set you free forever. These Jews could not have possibly known what God was saying. They could not have possibly known what Jesus would actually be like. But he was predicting the arrival of God himself, of Emmanuel, of God with us. He was predicting the arrival of Jesus, the Son of God. In fact, Isaiah had already promised King Ahaz in chapter 7, verse 14, a verse you also know from Christmas. It says this, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign, Isaiah said, The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is our wonderful counselor too, isn't he? We need a counselor. He is, he is more than we need. He is more than enough. He is able to give us the counsel and advice that only God can. But I'm not so sure we're really convinced. I'm not so sure that we really understand how wonderful our counselor is. We seem to listen just as easily to just about anyone as we do to Jesus. You know, if we want some advice, where do we go? We go everywhere. We go all over the place. I wonder if we really see Christ in this way as someone whose guidance, whose counsel is superior to anyone else's. To whom do we listen? That's what I want to ask this morning. To whom do you listen? To whom do you go when you need advice, when you need direction, when you need counsel in your life? My goal is simple this morning. I want to convince you that you and I need to look first to Jesus Christ whenever we need advice or guidance or counsel. And when we turn to other people, we're missing what God has designed, what God has already set in place for us. Do we really see him as someone who understands better than anyone else what life is all about? Do we go to him first for wisdom in dealing with our marriages or with our children or with our jobs or with our schoolwork? Do we turn to him first when we need help in coming to terms with illness or crises of any kind, depression, conflict, you name it. Is he the first one we go to when these things happen in our lives? When it comes to just living our daily life, getting up in the morning, going through the day, going to bed again at night. When we live daily life, do we really look to Jesus? For day-to-day, moment-by-moment guidance? Do we study his teachings? Do we follow his, his example? Do we go to him in prayer? Or do we go even more easily for advice 
from our friends or our family or our co-workers or maybe, you know, the person that's checking out your stuff at the grocery store. Who do you open up to and you follow their advice? Do you go to Facebook and ask all your friends, what do you think I should do? Do you check out Pinterest, you know, to see if someone else has an idea of how to solve something in your life? I don't know where you go, but do you go to Jesus first? That's the question. Now, I'm not saying we should never go to another human. I'm not saying we should never go to a counselor or advisor, but we need to know that the counsel of Christ is vastly superior to anyone else's counsel. And that if we choose a counselor, we better choose one that knows Christ. Because what will really make the difference is when the thoughts and the understanding and the wisdom of Christ enters our lives. Other people can help us insofar as they consult the wisdom and the direction of God himself. Now I have a few pet peeves. Anybody else have pet peeves? Uh, yeah. Things that just kind of get under your skin, you know. Things that get on our nerves. One of my pet peeves is the misuse or overuse of some words like awesome. Oh, I'm so tired of that word. Awesome. Awesome used to be reserved for God, practically. You know, it's like, wow, stand in awe of God. Look what God just did, you know. The word itself describes this jaw-dropping, surprising, even fear-inspiring action of God. Or somebody says, man, you're just stunned by it. That's awesome. Something that we reserve often for Almighty God, and only a few others may be able to pull off. It literally means causing feelings of fear and wonder and astonishment. So something that is awesome is supposed to be beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension. But now people say awesome for just about anything that happens, don't they? Oh, I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> that skateboard trick was awesome. Come on. I got an awesome deal on Black Friday. Come on. Your jello salad is awesome. What? <laughs> isn't that, you know, at the ballpark we say, isn't that an awesome hot dog? Really? Yeah, you're going to call a hot dog awesome? Something's wrong with that. I found out on Google <laughs> that there's a national movement now to take this word out of the English vocabulary because it no longer means what it's supposed to. So let's just get rid of it. Let's start over. Let's get a new one. And I suppose this misuse of words is not anything new. And if I look at wonderful, hasn't the same thing happened to it? Wonderful used to mean the same thing as awesome. <laughs> it means astonishing. It means incomprehensible. You can't get your mind around something that's wonderful. It is beyond explanation. The word wonderful was practically reserved for God alone, for the God of wonders who does things no one else can duplicate, that no one else can understand. It used to be that wonderful things stopped us in our tracks. It used to be that wonderful things were awesome. <laughs> so just how wonderful is this wonderful counselor? We really understand. Wonderful counselor. Alan Perkins said, when the scriptures refer to Jesus as a wonderful counselor, it doesn't mean that he's good at giving advice. It means that he understands things that are beyond the ability of our finite minds to comprehend. He knows things which only God can know. 
He knows the ways of God. He understands God's plans and purposes. He, he has knowledge and intelligence and wisdom and insight that far exceed that of any man who ever lived. And so in Jesus Christ, he says, we have someone who by virtue of his great knowledge and understanding is abundantly qualified to guide and direct our lives. Someone who is never confused or mistaken. Someone who always knows exactly what to do. Someone who will never lead us astray. That's wonderful. And that's who Jesus is. Brian Harrell added, Jesus is the sum total of all knowledge, all wisdom, all guidance, all direction, all truth, all counsel and insight. He knows everything about everything, and he's never wrong. Now that's a wonderful counselor, I think. Who are you listening to? Whose advice are you seeking? Whose brain are you picking? Do you remember back in the story when we read the story about Daniel? Daniel's one of those exiles later on taken after Isaiah's prophecies and the Babylonians come, they take the people over to Babylon. Daniel's one of those young men, nobility maybe, that they're taken in and they're trained in the ways of the Babylonians. And he grows up, and as he's growing up, successive kings of these empires, worldwide empires, have dreams and have problems understanding those dreams. to understand these dreams. He is able to say things, understand things that no one else does. You remember that when King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he's calling all the soothsayers and the wise men and the magicians and he's saying, explain to me what I saw in this dream. And Daniel surfaces and he explains it all, not because of his ability, and he is very clear about this. He says, I don't know these things, but God does. And God has made me privy to them, and I'm going to share with you what he has now said. And Daniel, this displaced Jew, serves as an advisor to the most powerful men in the world for the next 80 years. And later on, I think it's when Darius the Mede, you know, is having trouble, same thing, I don't understand my dreams. Somebody says, call on Daniel, because the spirit of the gods is in him. He knows things that we don't know. That's a wonderful counselor. And Jesus alone is our wonderful counselor. Job 12, 30, 13 says, To God belong wisdom and power. Counsel and understanding are His. Really, His alone. Romans eleven thirty three says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. There are many counselors in this world. There are many voices. We, we sometimes call them talking heads. You know, it's real easy to get on TV or the radio or just out on the street or in your friend's group or with your family and spout off, isn't it? Everybody's got their opinion. As Buddy likes to say, everybody's an ex expert on their own opinion. Well, good, good for them. They're an expert. But they may be mindless. <laughs> they may not know anything. But they're an expert in their mindlessness, I guess. There are many counselors in the world, but none of them compare 
with our wonderful Counselor Jesus. Some listen to talk show hosts, you know, Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, Glenn Beck. Some listen to famous people like Oprah Winfrey or Dan Rather, maybe Ellen DeGeneres. You know, you find these people that have these talk shows or news programs and, and they're, they're spouting off. They're telling you their opinion and sometimes a very informed opinion. Sometimes they have good things to say. But who do you listen to? Be very careful about giving any human being too much credit because every human being is wrong at some point, just as you and I are wrong. Jesus alone is our wonderful counselor. And he has given us a counselor, hasn't he? He has given us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We just studied that this fall, that the Holy Spirit is given to us so that we can know God and we can know about God and we can know the things of God. And God's Spirit now lives inside of us and teaches us everything we need to know. Do you remember John 14, 16, when Jesus first gave the Spirit? What does he call him? He said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor. <laughs> To be with you forever. He said in John 14, 26, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. And God has placed this wonderful Counselor, Jesus, in the Spirit, in us, so that we can know God and know the ways of God. Some people today, however, pay psychotherapists, Counselors, hundreds of dollars to listen to their stories, to listen to their problems, and advise them what they should do. This counselor is free. Isn't that a great thing? Some schedule their appointments with their counselors once or twice a week, as much as they can afford, probably. But this counselor is available 24-7. And on top of that, this counselor is always right. <laughs> he never misleads. He never missteps. He never misunderstands, advises us to do something that would actually cause us more harm than good. This counselor is vastly superior to any other counselor you can find. And God has provided every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ, a counselor who is constantly with us and constantly available to teach us everything we need to know. Do you think that Jesus has anything to say to us? Do you think he has anything to counsel us today in December 2014 about this Christmas season and how we're enjoying it? Or how we're stressed out about it? Or how we're overspending our money in order to try and show our love to anything? Do you think he has anything to say to us about that? I do. Do you think he has anything to say about Ferguson? And about the demonstrations that are now throughout our country all because of the death of a black man? Are you, are you convinced that Jesus doesn't care about that? Well, he does. And if we will open our minds and hearts to him, he has some very powerful, very wise words to say. Do you think that Jesus has something to say about our economy? Yes. Do you think that Jesus has something to explain to us about our troubles or our crises or our dysfunctions within our families and within our workplaces and within our schools. He is our wonderful counselor. And he has made available to us 24-7 the counsel that you can get nowhere else. Who are you listening to this morning? 
Word of God tells us in James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, <laughs> that's me, that's you, he should ask God, who gives generously, and to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So I just want to encourage you this morning, and all that is going on in your life, that God has provided everything you need in Jesus. And we need to go to him in prayer. We need to ask for his wisdom. We need to ask him to help us understand our situations, our circumstances, so that we can make the decisions we need to make. We need to go to the word of God. We need to let God speak to us because we're studying this word. We're into the word. We're looking for those answers. Jesus said, when you'll seek me, you're going to find me. Are you seeking him? Are you seeking his advice? Are you asking his spirit to direct you every day in the path of life? I want to pray for you and myself today because we're not listening where we need to be listening. Let's open our hearts to Jesus. Father, I pray for our, uh, our hearts today. Um, it is so easy to hear the voices around us, maybe to turn on the TV or listen to the radio or, or just ask a friend what we should do. And to take that advice as if it was the uh, most amazing thing we've ever heard. To follow that advice and hope that it somehow improves our situation or helps us with a decision we need to make. Father, you have made your wonderful counselor, Jesus, available to each one of us. And yet we ignore him, we disregard him, we listen to other voices, to other people, some of them just lead us further from you. We repent of that, Lord. We, we admit that, that we are too easily led by those that don't even know you. We're led by a worldly system that often is at odds with you. We come back just to this, this beginning point, this foundation, where we admit our need for Jesus. And we admit our need for his counsel, for his wisdom, for his advice. In this Christmas season and in this tumultuous time in our country and in our world, we ask for the wisdom that you alone have. Help us to know how to order our steps, how to live from day to day, how to make the choices that make a difference not only for us but for the people we love, people around us. Be with our nation. Be with our leaders. Be with our schools. Be with our teachers. Be with our employers and our employees. We pray that as each of us live for Jesus Christ, we would acknowledge our need for you and humbly seek you every day. Get us into the word Get us, Lord, into prayer with you, into conversation. And may your Holy Spirit guide us as we open our hearts to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.